the RTE Rugby World Cup podcast, sponsored by Bank of Ireland. Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby World Cup podcast. We are heading into round two of games. Ireland against Tonga coming up on Saturday night live on RT2 and RT Player. And with us this afternoon, Stephen Ferris. Thanks a million for joining us. A rare appearance on our RT Rugby podcast. Good to have you. Uh, thanks for having me on, Neil. Appreciate it. Um, I'm in. Uh, I'm surrounded by greatness here, of course. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some of the opinions that uh, after the team announcement. But yeah, it's a big week, isn't it? Well, I was just about to mention it. With us also, as well, is Bernard Jackman, whose analysis of France's kicking game on against the head on Monday night seems to be the most watched viewed on on Twitter this week, or what's left of Twitter. Bernard, surely that's uh, surely what, that video you. You're able to add another zero onto your onto your invoices now and your appearances for the next year, yeah? I'll try it. I'll try it. No, I think word will be taken us down. We were heading for the million mark, Jim Hamilton, with nine hundred and sixty something thousand or something. But uh, word will be took it down. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know um, what the story is with word will be at the moment. Of uh, there, there are a lot of they're 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 concentrating on anthems and refereeing and uh, videos online. So um, yeah, hopefully they start concentrating rugby soon. Yeah, well, look, if people haven't seen it, it is still up on RTE Rugby's uh, Twitter page as well. So go there, or, or X as they're calling it these days. So go there if you want to find it. Genuinely, three uh, three brilliant minutes of analysis. Um, We'll get straight into it. We've so much to get through. Um, We'll start with the big news. And I'm not talking about the Ireland team to face Tonga at the weekend. I'm not talking about the injury that's ruled Malcolm Marks out of the World Cup. New national anthems for the weekend, guys. How are we feeling about that? Delighted. <laughs> it's great. It's great that they're really they're getting to the heart of of what's bothering rugby fans over the last week or so, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. I'll tell you what. Anybody that's been um, looking to give an opinion on Twitter has been complaining about the national anthems for the last week or ten days. So, yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see if any of the teams go with the choir again. But, uh, yeah. Um, I think we could all do without that and get the passion and the um pulling the heartstrings again with some of the national anthems before kickoff, get those tears flowing in the eyes of the supporters around the stadium uh before their team kicks off. But yeah, what a what uh, I was gonna use a, a different word there, but what a cock up from uh from, from everyone involved to to ruin the national anthems for so many of the nations because it's such an important part, um, especially when you're there playing. But yeah, I think you learn. What do they say? You learn from uh, your mistakes and you move on. Yeah, I've been. I I kind of have been taken aback, Birch, by just how strongly people are feeling about this. Yeah, it's massive, and I was getting texts because I was in. Like obviously, the first game was Friday night, and it actually sounded worse. Uh, on 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 the cans on the on the earphones. Mm. So actually, halfway through La Marseille, I I took my earphones off, and it actually didn't sound as bad because by that stage the crowd had kind of tried to take over. But look at I think the idea was was nice, you know, um, bring young kids involved and all that stuff. But it just didn't work, and it is a massive part of it. And uh, uh, it's good to hear it's being being rectified now. But yeah, like they nearly ruined that pre match, um. Only for as I said, there were so many French in the crowd who woke up and 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 just took it in their own in their own hands. But uh, yeah, it's it's sort of, sort of, sort of issue, you know. 
well, look, we'll uh, we'll get this back on track. We'll start talking about the rugby itself. The the Ireland team to face Tonga is out. Four changes from the win against Romania last week. Connor Murray coming in for Jameson Gibson Park. Mac Hansen for Keith Earls. Ronan Kelleher is in for Rob Herring. And Josh van der Fleer in for Joe McCarthy. No Dan Sheehan. Uh, however, Dave Kilcoyne and Robbie Henshaw are among those on the bench. Um, to run through it just quickly, Hugo Keenan fullback, Hansen and James Lowe on the wings, Gary Ringrose and Bundyaki in the centre again. Johnny Sexton stays in the team, captain alongside Conor Murray in the halfbacks. Front row, Andrew Porter, Ronan Keller, Tyg Furlong, Tyg Byrne and James Ryan in the second row with Peter Amani, Van der Fleer and Doris in the back row. And then the replacements, Rob Herring, Dave Kilcoyne, Finley Bealham, Ian Henderson, Ryan Baird, Craig Casey, Ross Byrne and Robbie Henshaw. Stephen, we were just we quickly mentioned it on air before we came on. It's a strong team and particularly a lot stronger a team than we were expecting to see. Yeah, I would say it took many people by surprise uh, of how strong that the team is. Um, like something like not seeing Ian Henderson start is because, you know, the alarm bells start to ring with me because like he's he hasn't had that much rugby over the last season and a half, two seasons. Um, hasn't played in you know too many big games. Obviously held out for an Irish contract, then ended up getting injured in the Six Nations. Gets himself ready, goes to the Rugby World Cup. Um, and yeah, you know Joe McCarthy started last week. He finds himself in the bench again. If Ireland pick up an injury, all of a sudden he's is is he starting against South Africa? Um, the following week. So a few things like that, but. Like it's it's very strong. Um, I thought maybe Craig Casey would have started the game just to keep the tempo up early on. He's very like uh, Jameson Gibson Park. His kicking game maybe not as good, and game management maybe not as good. But you know he's uh, he's very lively. So yeah, a couple of things. And correct me if I'm wrong here, lads, but it's Jack Conan, Dan Sheehan, Stuart McCluskey, and Jimmy O'Brien are the four that won't have got a World Cup cap after this game. Is that right? Off the top of my head, those yeah. four certainly anyway. Right, I can't yeah. think of anyone else off the top of my head. Yeah, I think that's four. So, fingers crossed, we don't have a repeat of the Bordeaux four from 2007. Um, <laughs> uh, because it, it is it is important. Like I don't know what Bert's opinion is on it, Like, but it, it's important that you know, guys do feel like they are part of this journey. And, you know, are those four lads going to get their opportunity after this game? Potentially not. So it'll be, be really interesting to hear what Burtz thinks about the likes of Stuart McCluskey. Would he be put onto the bench in either a game against South Africa or against Scotland? Probably not. So, yeah, um, I suppose it's all about winning a Rugby World Cup and you have to put your best team out there. But at the same time, it's it's important to keep the group happy and to keep everybody feeling a part of it. Yeah, I think that's the big one. I, I think Stuart, I think Jack Conan probably will feature if he if he's fit in one of the games. Um, maybe not South Africa. Um, but Jimmy O'Brien may even come onto the bench if there's an injury because obviously he's a utility back. But you, I just don't see Stuart being on the bench. Um, and is he going to start against South Africa or? Or Scotland, no, um, I don't think he is. So I wonder why he didn't play last week or be part of this squad. To be honest, um, certainly Bundy's been really good. It's not a question of that. It's just how you 
how you manage it. And probably by going so strong against Romania, he gave himself very little option. Um, and obviously they want to they want to go hard three weeks in a row. They've certainly done that. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it's a weird one. And if 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 he's not going to play, I remember there was a big debate about whether he goes or not. Like, do you want to? You need to bring that extra out center, and it's, it's early days yet. But you would say that if he doesn't play, obviously that position could have been used, um, you know, elsewhere. You know, um, but look at let's let's see. Obviously, the beauty of McCluskey is if that happens to Bundy or Robbie. You know he's good enough to start, and uh, we'd have no fear about him. So I suppose from that point of view, he is a bit of a, a safety blanket. But yeah, I'm sure those lads are getting worried now. You know, who haven't who haven't obviously had game time. Um, the the team and the squad itself, Birch. Do you like the fact that he's gone so strong for this game? I like the fact he's gone strong for Tonga. I, I don't think there's any need to go as strong for Romania. Um, in terms of that's where you could have made sure everyone got a chance. But look at for. A psychological benefit of that big win against Romania, getting minutes uh, into people. Like I've no, like if Sexton needs to play, there's no issue with that. But um, yeah, I think we probably went too strong against Romania, but we got away with no injuries. Um, and I can understand why he wants to go strong this week against Tonga. The problem I think was that that Bayon match against Samoa probably put a bit of doubt in his mind. Uh, I think around the sec, too many seconds string together. Um, and look, the last thing he wants is to is to fall over the line against Tonga as well, and, and not have not have confidence. So I can see it, I can see it why. But I just think Romania being so poor, so probably maybe we were a little bit over conservative in that game. And he's he has generally Stephen Andy Farrell. He's generally been reluctant to to play teams like that, like like he did against Samoa and Bayonne, where it's you know eleven, twelve, potentially thirteen changes from from the first choice. Uh, you bring it back to the Fiji game last year in November where he made lots of changes and he wasn't pleased with how things went that day. There there generally is a a reluctance on Farrell's part to to put out what we would kind of call maybe a fully second string team or or to make wholesale changes. Yeah, and his his sole job is to put a team out on the pitch that he thinks is going to win. And against Samoa, obviously Weather conditions is a massive leveler, especially um, when it was teaming it down in Bayonne. Uh, ball was really slippy. You know, Tom Stewart was making his first start. Lots of pressure on him. I actually thought some of the lineout calls during that game were were not smart. You know, a few throws to middle and tail, um, and uh, you know, put him under a lot of pressure. And then obviously, the lineout has been. If, if there's one area that needs ironed out over. Well, ASAP uh, leading into the South Africa game is the is the lineout. So, um, yeah, he's he's went strong, and um, I feel that exactly the same as Birch. I don't, I don't think there was any need to go as as strong against Romania. However, playing Bundy in that game and the game that he had, like it almost feels that he is at the top of his game. And he is brimming with confidence and he is firing on all cylinders. Where if McCluskey starts that game and Bundy comes on with 10, 15 minutes to go and doesn't really get himself into the game, then he starts this week. It's due to piss down again in uh in Nods, uh on the Saturday. The weather doesn't look particularly great. Then all of a sudden Bundy's under a bit of pressure. So I think 
when lads are in form and they're feeling good and they're you know fit, like it's really difficult not to select them. Um, and the same goes for Pete. The same goes for Ty Byrne, even though he was playing in the back row at the weekend, put him back into the second row. He is absolutely flying. Like the engine on the bloke at the minute is ridiculous. So, uh, and again, just a few of the other guys in the team that seem to have gotten a lot of confidence out of that Romania game. Um, and I suppose Andy's looking for a little bit more of that consistency through the group stages and you know, hopefully they can bring it. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Tyg Byrne there. After our podcast on Tuesday, there was a, a comment on our on our YouTube on Byrne specifically about how about a minute or two before his last try at the very end, the camera kind of shot to him at a break in play and he looked just absolutely gassed out on his feet, ga- grasping for the final bit of air in his lungs. And two minutes later, he's still the guy who's, you know, who's on, was it Bundyaki's shoulder at, to score that final try and it just shows the fitness and level of reserves they have Birch to to move it on I get the feeling hindsight is probably just going to dictate how we view the the selections of it if there's an injury this weekend we're going to be looking back and wondering why we went so strong either against Romania or Tonga if everyone comes through okay and Ireland have a great sense of continuity and go on and beat South Africa next week we'll probably look back and say God, wasn't Andy Farrell right to pick such a strong team for those first couple of matches? Yeah, look at 100%. He he, he knows how he... He's probably known for a while how he wanted to play, to be fair. Um, and he, like the game against Samoa wasn't a first-choice team. It was very mixed. Um, in actual fact, we we haven't really had a, a, a full a full side, obviously, missing Sexton as well, um, in, in August. So he probably wants to get his combinations... Uh, up and running for South Africa because I think South Africa is must win now. Um, it's not must win. It's far easier for us. Um, oh, sorry, it's not even far easier. New Zealand is a good team. It's easier for us if we can beat South Africa. Careful with the things uh, you're saying here. Careful with what you're because, saying here. Um, I think it's going to grow into this competition. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm saying it, it's definitely I would prefer to play New Zealand. Uh, it's not far easier, but um. So to beat South Africa, one would make that easier, but two, it would, I suppose, punch a hole in in, in them as well at the, at the moment because they are absolutely brim of confidence. They they believe that they have the the game model, the players, the team spirit, uh, the coaching staff to go back to back. So if you can, I know they lost in the group stages in Japan, um, in, in the first game, but since then, whenever they've they, their form hasn't been amazing at times. But whenever they've really put the the head down pressure on that team, they've delivered. Um, so I think they would want to beat Ireland in the group stages, and if we can beat them there, I think psychologically that can maybe damage them. And I and I think I I, I genuinely believe it's between ourselves, South Africa and France, um, uh, as as potential winners. So if we can do damage to, I suppose a direct opponent in that, well then that would be you know um, that w- that would be important for us. Later on, maybe the day slip up somewhere else. So, yeah, I think that South Africa match is is massive, massive. Final question on the Ireland selection, then Stephen. Um, Dan Sheehan, obviously, if he is fit to play South Africa next week, he'll be going into that game having having not played since picking up that foot injury against England. Would you still be confident putting him in there? Um, with such little rugby under his belt. To answer your question, uh, pretty quickly, yes is the answer. 
I think he's that good, and he's shown over this season that he is that good. Um, he is very athletic, uh, very explosive, powerful. He's not the type of player that comes across to me as if he needs two or three games to get up and running. Um, I'm sure he'd be training the house down as well. Uh, the SNC staff will have him doing off-feet conditioning flat out over the last few weeks. Um, like he might find himself sitting on a bench ski ergon for like you know what what might feel like weeks on end. Um, so yeah, like he'll be ready to go. The amount of training that he has under his belt over the last couple of months, um, especially if he's fit. Malcolm Marks is obviously out. Mbanambi seems to be part of the bomb squad, and he's now going to have to start. Um, he does have a fairly good engine on him himself, but you no. Know, I text Birch earlier on today just about the, you know, I know we're going to move on to it about that that Malcolm Marks injury and, and who's going to, you know, fill that spot on the bench and Dion Ferry at the minute. He obviously plays in the back row uh, for the Stormers. Um, I was pushing on a bit as well. Like, so there's a, loads of question marks around South Africa. Um, and it's all down to one injury with Malcolm Marks. Like, it's, uh, it's amazing how everybody now is out in South Africa just because one of their main players and it would be exactly the same for Ireland like if, if Ireland lost Tag Burn at the weekend you know for the tournament the the, the the same question mark would start to come and who's going to you know be the replacement and everything else but yeah it's uh, it, it's going to be a, a crazy couple of weeks but hopefully if Dan Shane can be a part of the this crazy couple of weeks then that, that's a huge positive for Ireland and I would have absolutely no qualms of Putting him in to start against um against South Africa. The only question is, Birch, who do you have on the bench? Because Rob Herring has shown that he is so consistent with his line out throwing and he, he makes very few mistakes. And and obviously, um, you know, the injury profile as well. Um it's it, it's you know pointing towards a, a a bench with Rob Herring on it, but you know, that's a question I'll throw to you as a as a former international hooker. Yeah, look, I think at his best, Kelleher, you know, is someone that has that power to mix it with the with the box. More more power than Rob, I think, to be fair. But the problem is he's been so unlucky with injury, he hasn't had a consistent run. And and we'd be taking that as uh, um uh, as a hope really. And also his throwing isn't as good as, as Rob's. And 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 when you look at Ireland and how you know, so much of our attack is based around having a quality set piece. I, I, I agree with you. I think Rob is ahead of Ronan. Now, Ronan obviously has the chance to play, play his way into it on, on, on Saturday. But uh, for me, I would start Sheen as well. I think for us to beat the box, you need you need him because he can beat people one-on-one. He's quick. Um, he's unbelievably competitive. He throws well as well. So, uh, And I would say, look, at he hasn't missed the whole preseason. You know, he got injured in, in August in a warm-up game. And absolutely, the the SNC would have been able to work him quite hard. Um, and like it's not a back injury where you can't do lower upper body, a foot injury. So, um, I I would be starting him. Um, and and I would be going Rob on the bench. But if Keller can obviously have a really good game, then it's going to be a tough decision because Keller gives you a little bit more bump. I think. I think Herring Herring scrummaging is actually very solid. Maybe he's not as big and as as powerful as 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 Keller and loose, but. Certainly, technically, he's um he's an excellent scrummager, and you probably you probably need that. Go back to South Africa, 
you know, going two hookers, one and a, and a, and a hybrid was a gamble, especially when I went four, um, four scrum halves. Dion Fury can play hooker, but it's not his best position, you know. Um, so now the fact they haven't named anybody yet, they say Malcolm. Mark. I think I think it's important for for Malcolm Marks to have a few days to process it. So when you leave, when you're ruled out of a World Cup, you the replacement can't come until you leave the hotel. They escort you to the to the airport. So effectively, you know, they have a soft match. It's not far to get someone to fly in Monday or Tuesday. Um, uh, and I think that they're letting him have his few days with the squad, and I'm sure, you know, they'll do right by him. And then I think Monday, obviously, based on what happens in the game, if they get a back injury, then they can make a decision on Pollard. But I think it'd be a massive gamble to bring Pollard in for, uh, you know, um, I think that's, I think they have to get another back injury first. But I think they're waiting to see what happens in that game before they make any changes. But Malcolm Marks will leave. And he will be replaced and probably replaced by a hooker, I think. Yeah, and that's like we may as well stay on this now. The it was such a peculiar phrasing in the statement this morning that they said with an enlarged squad of 33 and you know, cover us at hooker because Dion Fury can play there as well, obviously. But they also mentioned Marco Van Staden uh is listed as a qualified to play hooker on the team sheet and is filling in occasionally in training. Stephen, like ultimately, that's not really going to be enough if you want to be winning a World Cup. I mean, surely it would be a remarkable risk for them to, if on Monday or so when they reevaluated things, decided to call up Andre Pollard or Luke Kanyoam rather than someone like Joseph Dweba, a hooker who's there and ready to come in. Yeah, I think I think Burt's is right though. You know, they're they're probably going to wait until after this game. If they pick up another injury, then you can bring in. A replacement hooker and Pollard, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but it would be a huge gamble if there's no injuries on a Monday or Tuesday of next week. Andre Pollard is, is announced as the replacement hooker for Malcolm Marks. Um, so we'll wait and see how that pans out. But I do like there is no question like Dion Fury and Van Staden can play at hooker like. They will have been practicing their line out throwing every single day. They've been taking parts part in scrummaging sessions. They are two very physical and strong boys. Like I'm sure the two props, Malherba and Kitzkoff would have have no problem with either of those two lads scrumming down uh, with them um at international level against any opposition. It's just when they come under pressure with line out throws to the tail. Um. Yeah, I, I, I think they need a specialized hooker. And is Weber the the next in line? We'll wait and see. But yeah, um, it'd be interesting to see how it, uh, you know, evolves over the next couple of days. And um, you know, it's really unfortunate for Malcolm Marks because it took him so long to get back ahead of Embanambi because Embanambi seemed to be the, the the guy who had the number two jersey for for quite some time. And Malcolm Marks, everybody was sort of saying that I. Oh, back to form, back to form, and then all of a sudden he's got his chance again with South Africa in the starting role, and he's been really, you know, top drawer, world-class, um, and, yeah, an injury, an ACL injury, and, um, yeah, the, even if you have Sia Khaleesi's rehab team, that's not going to get get you back quick enough to play in the next round of the World Cup. Yeah. yeah. Um, Just, I, I think, no, Neil, I think the South Africans' um, press conferences I mean, I wouldn't want to call anyone a liar, but um, I wouldn't be a lot of stuff they're saying either. I mean, 
Um, you heard, I don't know if you heard him about the traffic light system. You know, that, yeah. that's nothing to do with tactics. That's all player safety. Like, I, I, I don't mean, I, I just think that they've got to the stage where they're having fun with what they actually put out there. Yeah. You know, um, and Razzy, Razzy's having a laugh, um, you know, uh, with, with one of the stuff. It's all, it's, it's all believable if you believe everything they say. But if you look at it logically, um, I think, I, I I don't for a second believe that that's a safety health and safety uh issue. That's that's tactics. That's what it was when he when he started first with the cheetahs. Um, and uh, it's 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 them having a, an influence over decision. I don't think it's banned or anything like that. Like I don't I don't think there's nothing wrong with it, but I just say what it is. You know. Yeah, I did I did find the the reaction to that Stephen a bit bizarre on Monday. Granted, it's you know, it's an unorthodox way of doing things, and it's a it's a bit of messing around. But like, there were some. In some quarters, you were talking about, you know, oh, this is another example of Razzie Erasmus, you know, bending the rules and testing the boundaries of the the morals of the game. And okay, it's it's a bit of an odd thing to do, but there's nothing wrong with it, is there? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. But like, he's going to speak into his uh, microphone with the earpiece and get the message down to the water boy yeah. or whoever, anyway. Like, so you know, I, I think. Again, it's just Razzie in South Africa loving to um, have social media and pundits and everybody else talk about this rather than talk about Manny Lavox kicking. You know, it's it's just sort of like deters you from um, some of the things that went on in the game. Like, I remember chatting to Ruan Pinar about uh, Razzie, you know, obviously a good number of years ago, and he was the... Ruan was like, oh, he's crazy, man. He was sitting up in the, in the stands, like with the flags, you know, he was raising the, the red flag and then raising the green flag, you know, and, and you're talking, what's that, 15 years ago? Um, So, yeah, he's he's doing something similar. And, like, if he wants to get a message on the pitch, he can get a message on the pitch inside two seconds um, just by speaking down the microphone. So, yeah, I think it's all... um. Distraction tactics once again by Razi Erasmus, and like we all know how well it's paid off in the past. So, um, we'll see how again how, how this works itself out over the next week, couple of weeks. Yeah, he's great at getting people to talk about anything other than the the rugby. In fairness, um, another quirk of the the South African selections this week, obviously, which is going to be fun to touch on. Um, when the squad was announced, uh, whatever six weeks ago, and there were four scrum halves in their in their thirty three, we were wondering how on earth were all four of these lads going to be playing. I, I don't think any of us first thought all four were going to be playing in the one match <laughs> at any given point. <laughs> like, um, is this is this going to be like the seven one split where people are talking about it's uh, it's uh, a little bit morals it, it, of the game? Yeah, it's, it's dangerous. I think yeah, he's having a bit of fun. He's having a bit of fun. No, no, I don't know. If people might say, oh. I saw um I saw a photograph where basically they all four scrummers were on the pitch at the same time and they all had a fifteen meter channel that they were just <laughs> basically go up and down and, and look after any rook in that fifteen meter channel and people are saying, Oh, this could be a game changer. Of course it won't be, but um again I think he's having a bit of fun with this. Obviously Tubes wing or Tubes nines can play wing and he loves a six two split, so um having that uh versatility is, is important but now nah, he's just it's just remaining he's getting game like realistically this is the game to play them uh and it kind of goes back to what Stephen and i were saying earlier on that um maybe we missed an opportunity to, to give guys their first our world cup 
debut, but uh, he could do that. He saw us in Romania now. I mean, generally those weaker countries get poorer as it goes on. You know what I mean? Um, so I think South Africa, even though they're not as attacking, as fluid attack wise as Ireland, um, they'll they'll rack up a good score. I think. Stephen, can you imagine how annoying it would be having four scrum halves on the pitch? Yeah, well, on the like one team, actually, forget, Paul... forget about Romania scrum half then as well. <laughs> yeah, but I think if like if you had four Paul Marshalls on the pitch, like I think I would have retired from rugby a lot earlier. <laughs> um, but ah, uh, yeah, like four lads like that. Um, Williams obviously. Bobby Skin's dad told me that he's the he's the fastest player. In South Africa, uh, full stop, uh, and that's not just scrum half; that's wings, um, centers, the whole heap. And I think he showed he was able to show a little bit of that with his line break, and unfortunately, the the top tackle by Finn Russell, which got him. Um, but yeah, he's a little bit of a maverick. He threw a couple of bad passes last week when he came on. Um, he obviously likes a bit of an open game, but like this lad is going to stretch his legs at the weekend. Like I'm expecting a like Birch. Like a sixty or seventy point win, and Banambi to get four or five tries, like more than likely if they turn to their mall. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. And um, for for Paul Marshall's, geez, I can't get that out of my head now. <laughs> um, yeah, and even actually just looking across the the back line there, like you, Grant Williams, but Kane and Moody as well. There's some uh electric skill players out there as well. Shout out as well to Vincent Cock, who's who's making his first start for South Africa in since 2019. 28 appearances in a row off the bench as well for him. So a nice one for him to to get a start. Um last couple last bit I just want to mention from from Ireland's pool as well. Um poor Dave Cherry of Scotland. I don't know did you see that earlier this morning. Dave Cherry's out for the rest of the, the World Cup yeah. replaced by by Stuart McAnally slipped on the stairs in the team hotel concussion gone for 12 days and they've decided they they need to get an extra body in instead i mean like for a player like cherry as well who probably has had a bit of a a journeyman career 32 years of age his first opportunity at a world cup i know he came off the bench at the weekend but barsak it's such a cruel way for for a player's tournament to end yeah it is cruel and obviously on the back of you know what would have been a pretty demoralizing loss for them against south africa Gregor had given him, I think, three or four days off uh, as well. So I'm not sure if he was back in camp or they were in camp, but they weren't. They were staying in the hotel, but they weren't in camp. Um, but certainly as a as a coach, you know, your your doctor, your head of medical rings you and say, look, we've lost a player on, on on three days off or falling down the stairs. You're, you're kind of going, what? You know, it's not it's not going to be our lucky tournament. Um, and hard for him. Yeah, he's had a he's been. You know, he's had a tough career, really, and but getting international rugby or getting to that squad late, um, uh, would have been a huge deal to him. And again, it's a bit weird. Like they probably, if he's only out for twelve days, it must be a very bad concussion because they probably could have carried him really because you know they've um They're not playing this again. He still only missed one match, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think every concussion is going to be sent home. Um, but look at that's the decision they made and. Um. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's gonna be a tough couple of weeks for for Townsend until they get back on the pitch. Finally, to to loop it all around, actually, Stephen, we got carried away into Malcolm Marks and and South Africa, but Tonga themselves they haven't named their team for for this weekend against Ireland. But obviously, we know some of the the star names that are going to be in there, like some Malachi Fekatoa, Charles Piatau, uh, um, Avea Fafita. 
you know, a lot of these ex-All Blacks, Peter Aki of uh, of Toulouse as well. Plenty of, of star power in there, but results and performances over the last couple of months during the World Cup uh, warm-up campaign and the Pacific Nations Cup would kind of, would indicate they're struggling to to knit all of those together. Yeah, like it's it's all well and good having the firepower of, you know, a number of class players when they have the ball with plenty of time and open space and, you know, counter-attack with, um, you know, not much of a defensive line in front of them, but they're up against more or less a, a full-bore Irish team and, you know, they won't get that much possession. They shouldn't get that much possession. I feel like Ireland didn't utilise their mall at all against Romania. Um, and it's something that you have to practice like outside of training and in matches as well, um, especially leading into South Africa. I think they'll turn to their set piece. Again, if the weather conditions aren't great, they'll turn to that mall, um, eke out penalties at scrum time, kick to the corners, just sort of grind Tonga down a little bit. Um, any of that hype, you know, after the um the Sia Pal, was it uh, the war dance before the game that like they'll be bubbling over, ready to rock and roll, and you know it's their opening game of the of the Rugby World Cup. So there is absolutely no doubt that they will bring you know physicality through the roof, but ultimately they don't have a forward pack that, that should cope with Ireland's and um you know switch Pidaki and Charles Pietai and. Fafida in with three of the Irish lads, they might have an absolute field day, and and you know, but it's it's just the the other players around them, and it's just the strength and depth of some of the Pacific Island teams, and um, I, I think they'll give Ireland a good game. Uh, I think the, the bookies have it at thirty six points or something, um, but yeah, I, I can see it being a slightly tighter than that. If uh, again. Reverting back to the weather conditions, but yeah, it'll be a good test, and and hopefully, and hopefully they do test Ireland. You know, I think everybody wants to see um, Tonga really put it up to them. Like, and if it's a fifteen or twenty point win, but it's really hard fought, and Ireland's um, you know skill set was good, their mall was good, set piece good, line out functioned well, um, rock accuracy didn't give away too many penalties, then they can walk away from the game and go, "Geez, that was a you know we we played pretty well to beat Tonga by fifteen or twenty points." The last thing anybody wants is for Tonga just to you know turn up and play for ten or fifteen minutes and and then go out the gate. You know I think they we we need to see a, a hugely competitive game and and personally I think we will. Um and yeah I still expect Ireland to to put thirty points on them by by eighty minutes in the game. Um I will move on from this because there's there's loads we want to get through but one of the um. One of the talking points from the weekend, Birch, was the inconsistency or what we thought was the inconsistency of the the approach around head contacts and cards being given out. So Saturday night, Tom Curry, yellow card upgraded to a red after the the bunker review. He's got a two-match ban, England's fourth right card in in six games. Then on Sunday, a pretty similar incident, Martin Sigrun of Chile, uh, Head head on head contact as well. That the yellow doesn't get upgraded later on in the day. Jesse Creel of South Africa, again, what we thought was a head on head contact with Jack Dempsey of Scotland, missed by everyone on the day. No sighting coming from it. Um, from from my opinion, anyway, three very 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 similar incidents with three starkly different outcomes. Yeah, but the the problem is Neil is that well. 
the the reasoning for that that World Rugby have come out with today is they're saying that their TMO, their team have sixteen angles that we we don't have, um, and effectively that there's no issue that it's been consistent. But again, like that you need to build up a lot of trust to totally put belief in that and be be happy with that. And I think we have to ask questions and we have to be expected um to be able to see these uh see better angles mm-hmm. you know to, uh, to to prove it or to explain it so that's the that's the problem for me is that i don't think there's enough trust but built up between refereeing and, and the public or the officials in the public or the siding commission of the public and that's based on a lot of inconsistency leading into this when we have had the angles right so we've had the angles that we haven't had we don't have now and we've seen a, a massive variety we thought the bunker one, TMO one, TMO two, would have made it more consistent. Um, and in the first batch of games, uh, I don't think it's been satisfactory. So that's another area that they've had to, they're going to have to sort it out. Because if every week we're talking about, you know, the non-red card or the red card that wasn't justified or whatever, or the or the the, the yellow card that was missed because TMO didn't see it, um. It's not too bad now because there's been no game decided on it, basically, I don't think. But, you know, you lose a quarterfinal or semifinal based on a on a poor decision. That's going to, you know, that's going to that's gonna hurt and it's not going to do anything to grow the game. So, yeah, I, 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 I think if, they, if they're very happy that those decisions were correct, release the images. Release the images so we see that, you know, the, the screenshot, the still shot, the angle we had was misleading. Um... Because at the moment we're kind of making an opinion in the dark, and we're going with what our gut tells us, which is um, different to what the the disciplinaries or our committee are deciding. Yeah, and Stephen, I think there's like there's a real opportunity here for World Rugby to actually be able to present this information to people after the matches in a really clear and informative way, where they're saying it, it was in this article in the Telegraph late last night and this morning that they have a lot more angles than what's being shown on TV. And they were able to, they were able to see, for example, that Jesse Creel and Jack Dempsey, that that was initially like a, a chest on chest contact before the, before it became head on head. Now, why on earth have we not seen this? Why have we not seen this angle? Why has someone from world rugby not been able to put this up on their official channels on Monday morning, 24, 24 hours after the match and say, there has not been a sighting in this game. We're able to show you these replays. Here are the reasons why X, Y, and Z. And everyone is, everyone might not agree on it, but at the very least, people are informed as to how the decision came about. World Rugby are just busy taking down Birch's um, <laughs> links on Twitter. So they are. <laughs> and changing. Uh, well, <laughs> I think World Rugby are actually confusing the fans by the information that they're putting out. I think every fan now, if there's head contact, thinks it's a red card. And like anybody I'm talking to saying, oh, geez, you know, the Tom Curry one's exactly the same as the, the Matsushima, you, you know, Chilean uh, player. And I was like, no, it's not. I was like, it's not exactly the same. And they were like, oh, why, why? You know, head on head, head on head. I was like, well, hold on a second. Tom Curry is the one catches the ball, and he drives into him with the force, leaning with his head, high, upright, clashes head. The next day, Matsushima catches the ball, has a second or two, and then he sprints 
into the Chilean player who almost absorbs the tackle and doesn't. Yes, he's upright, but there is mitigation there because he isn't the one that's coming towards Matsushima and he is absorbing the impact. And I did believe that the two incidents were, were different. And I do believe that the referees got both those incidents right. And, you know, many people might disagree with me. The players had to go off. The players were cut and split open. Also, Matsushima didn't make a meal of it on the ground. He, was, he wasn't busted open, so he got back to his feet pretty quickly. And that in itself says to me that the player didn't feel like it was a dirty act either. Mm -hmm. Do you know, he felt it was just a coming together, a rugby incident. If it's a rugby incident and you're upright and you're absorbing a tackle like that, and your head is still in the way, that's not good enough, and you need to be penalised, and it should be a yellow card. But if you're Tom Curry, you cannot sprint into somebody who's just after catching the ball. I didn't think there was much of a rap. Everybody was telling me, oh, that he, he tried to rap. I, I didn't see a rap. I just seen a, an arm out. Heel Mary, kamikaze stuff, going straight um, towards the player who was catching the ball. And, and you know, you have to have safety in mind in, in, in that incident, uh, and he didn't. And I straight away when it was upgraded and the more I watch it and the more I go through other decisions, the more time to see, I think it was the Dan Bigger in, in the Fiji game. He, he He's a bit like Sexton. He tackles very, very upright and always just leads with an arm out. Um, Again, I, I thought that could potentially have been a yellow card, but in no way is it exactly the same as Tom Curry's incident. It's just not the same. And... That's just to go back to the original point, Neil. World rugby are making it complicated for fans because all the fans think if there is head contact, it should just be a red card. Well, hopefully, hopefully next week we're not going to have to be talking about decisions like this. We're running out of time very quickly, Birch. I do want to mention, but probably the game of the weekend coming up, Australia and Fiji. If it's anything like Fiji and Wales was on on Sunday night, hopefully we're in for an absolute belter. Yeah, uh, Fiji put a, put a mat of effort. Uh, it's quite slack defensively, and Australia have the firepower to to hurt them and and get scores. But it could be a, a total shootout. I think Eddie Jones hasn't been able to get his team to play the conservative rugby that he played with England. Um, there's still a lot more free spirit in him, and and obviously Fiji only know one way to play. So that that definitely is going to be the game of the weekend. I think. Uh, well, certainly on paper it is anyway. And a little bit of a scare for uh, Australia as well coming up. Taniela Tupo, Stephen, bit of a, a hamstring tweak in training either yesterday or, or this morning. Uh, the roar in Australia, Christy Doran is saying that it's potentially three to four weeks. So pool stage could be over for him uh, or at the very least maybe up until the, the last game of the pool stage. But um, not a player you'd want to be going into the, to the knockout stage at the very least without. No, definitely not. And like the Fijians will be rubbing their hands there. He's obviously a very powerful, dynamic scrummager. Um, and I think that's an area of Australia's game that they really surprised me with. I know it was against Georgia, but we all thought, you know, Georgia were, you know, their set piece was going to be a lot better. And, and Australia certainly had the upper hand for 50, 60 minutes until Georgia um, brought on their better props. But, um, for me, looking at this game and looking at the way Fiji played against Wales, I'm just really happy that Andrew Brace is refereeing the game. I think 
that he is an outstanding referee, one of the best in the world. And, you know, I'm not saying that Matt Carley refereed the game unfairly. I just think that the way the game shifted a moment, momentum so many times, and I actually thought Fiji shot themselves in the foot by taking scrums over and over again as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, that sort of subtracted the momentum out of their game. If that had just taken a quick tap, quick tap, and then all of a sudden there's another infringement, before you know it, the three minutes of scrummaging or whatever it was has been forgotten about. And, you know, straight away, Matt Carley's given a yellow card because it's just continuous over and over. So, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly going to be the game of the weekend. And, and for some reason, for some reason, I just think that the drop ball from Semi Radradra at the weekend will almost, will almost make them better this week. I, I think that... I really think that there's a surprise here. Um, they've shown it against England. Their set piece, their lineout was unbelievable. Really good, really solid. The throws, um, right on point. So for me, this is the game of the weekend, and um, I'm I'm not sure will they start with a similar team as last week. Um, their goal kicking is still a problem, but there's so much firepower there and sort out a few things defensively off set piece, and you know they're they're going to be a difficult team to beat. All right, you've sold me anyway. Four forty-five on Sunday, Sunday evening, live on RT two and RT player Australia and Fiji. Also on Sunday, South Africa and Romania will be on our RT two and RT player from two o'clock, as will on Saturday evening, Ireland and Tonga. Uh, Seven o'clock on air, eight p.m. kickoff, fellas. That's all we have time for this afternoon. Thanks a million for joining us. Uh, a reminder as well: we will have against the head on Monday night next week, and also for those with young kids who want to learn a little bit more about rugby. The latest episode of Rock and Roll with Sean Tracy and Mary Claire Fitzpatrick. That's going to be out on the RT Kids YouTube page and the RT player as well from Saturday morning. So there's going to be something for everyone over the next few days uh, on the RT Sport uh, Rugby World Cup coverage. We will be back on the podcast on Tuesday, looking ahead to the big one, Ireland against South Africa. We'll speak to you then. The RTE Rugby World Cup Podcast, sponsored by Bank of Ireland.